follow an Instagram account called Feeding Littles. They offer courses on how to feed babies, toddlers, and children, and they have a lot of good information you can find on their social media accounts. Things like tips and tricks to get your kid to eat, how their taste changes over time, different ways to prepare food, different tools they recommend, different skills that your kids might be learning, and so on. And they created a little infographic for the holidays. Basically, this infographic was two columns. Column one was labeled, what you think, and column two was labeled, your child thinks. And there were six items on each side. For example, on the what you think column, it read, I couldn't buy enough gifts this year. And on the your child thinks column, it read, I can't believe I got the one thing I wanted. The second item on the what you think column said, our decorations look terrible. On the your child thinks column, it reads, our house is magical. The third item on the what you think column said, I burned the cookies. And on the your child thinks column, it read, I will never forget making cookies with dad. The fourth item on the what you think column said, we couldn't afford fancy holiday cards. And on the Your Child Thinks column, it said, I got to make Grandma and Grandpa a card all by myself. The fifth item on the What You Think column said, They're missing out on so many traditions. And on the Your Child Thinks column, it read, I love our new traditions. And the last item on the What You Think column said, I'm not doing enough. And on the Your Child Thinks column, it said, My mom is everything. And the purpose of this infographic was to share a message that you are doing enough for your children, even if it isn't everything you wanted or expected for yourself, that your children might have a different perspective than you. And soon after Feeding Littles posted this, somebody made their own version. This version was popular. It was posted over and over again, reshared all over the place. The problem with this new version was that it omitted the words with dad. That's right. Somebody simply put a blank white square over the words and then posted the image. In a matter of a few minutes, with some rudimentary editing, you can do on almost any app or computer program, Dad was successfully removed from this intended message. Now, this doesn't seem like a very big deal, does it? In the context of this one picture on a single Instagram page, probably not. Most likely, it didn't ruin any relationships or crush anybody's self-esteem, I couldn't help but ponder on this, though. I kept wondering, why would somebody go through the trouble to remove Dad from this? Personal vendetta? Funny joke? It doesn't seem overly funny, but it does seem a bit malicious. Somebody went out of their way to remove Dad from an experience from this post, an experience that involved a dad baking cookies with his child. Not only that, an experience in which that child had a positive experience with dad, even though the dad didn't feel that way. Even though dad didn't feel like a success, but was trying nonetheless. So never mind what the message was trying to convey, a father spending quality time with his child and making memories, this person decided to remove dad from the picture. Maybe it was some dad somewhere who thought, you know, I don't bake, so this doesn't make sense. Or maybe it was some mom who got burned by the father of her children, and so she thought she'd remove dad from this experience out of spite. 
possibly somebody who got burned by their own dad. So of course, he doesn't belong in this experience. What I'm getting at is that I don't think removing dad from this experience was done out of humor. I think somebody just didn't want him there. Here's where I'm heading with all of this. Dads are being marginalized. Dads are being placed out of sight. They are expected only to live in the fringes, the outskirts, and seemingly only called upon when they need to be the receiving end of a bad joke or somebody needs blamed for something. Some efforts to marginalize dads are overt and blatantly obvious, and some are secretive and small. Some are big, solid blows, while some are minuscule, death by a thousand cuts. I was recently reading a blog that relayed the following message. What I see is that we marginalize dads in small ways that send them a message that motherhood somehow outweighs fatherhood. As a result, we make them the less important, less qualified parent. This helps no one. See, the story in this blog that led to this message was that a police officer was dealing with a frantic mom, a mom who was upset because her child had been in a little accident. And while the details of this accident failed to paint a clear picture, and since nobody was hurt without even any damage done, the officer didn't have anything he could do. This mom quickly dismissed this officer, telling him that there was no way he could possibly understand because he wasn't a mom. Why? Why couldn't dads understand? What possible explanation is there in this world that suggests that a dad wouldn't be able to understand what it feels like to be helpless when his child is in an accident? Are dads not capable of worrying? Of feeling concerned for their children? There isn't some unwritten rule that says moms have bigger feelings for their children than dads. Moms don't have all claim on the emotions that come from the highs and lows of parenting. In fact, according to Pew Research in 2015, fathers were on par with mothers, only off by one percentage point, in saying that parenting is extremely important to their identities, 57% for moms and 56% for dads. In fact, a slightly higher percentage of dads said that parenting is rewarding all of the time, 54 for dads and 52 for moms. Further, 46% of dads said that parenting is enjoyable all the time compared to 41% of moms. As always, my intention is not to pit moms against dads, but to illustrate that dads, in fact, find purpose and meaning in parenting. So much, in fact, that being a dad is as much of their identity as moms say that it is. David Blankenhorn sums this idea up perfectly in Fatherless America. He says, Today, American society is fundamentally divided and ambivalent about the fatherhood idea. Some people do not even remember it. Others are offended by it. Others, including more than a few family scholars, neglect it or disdain it. Many others are not especially opposed to it, nor are they especially committed to it. Many people wish we could act on it, but believe that our society simply no longer can or will. Because the fatherhood assumption has largely vanished from contemporary scholarly discourse, family experts today pursue a different set of questions. Are fathers truly important? Is being a good father different from being a good parent? Do never married fathers have rights? Can we improve the divorce process? 
Can stepfathers replace fathers? What is the minimum social requirement of fathers? That they sign paternity papers? That they pay child support? Or is there no minimum requirement at all? When a society loses the fatherhood idea, these are the emergent questions for the experts. Eventually, of course, these questions dwindle into inconsequence, just as swelling numbers of fathers themselves, without the fatherhood idea, dwindle into inconsequence. In a society that loses the fatherhood idea, the daddy part of the society shrinks and eventually dies. When dads are marginalized and written out of the mainstream societal integration, they will begin to, as David Blankenhorn so eloquently stated, dwindle into inconsequence. I mentioned earlier that I didn't think the simple act of removing the dad from an Instagram post was the final blow to kill off dads from society. Similarly, I don't think the process that dwindles fathers into inconsequence happens all at once. I think it is death by a thousand cuts. I think the ideas that lead to father inconsequence are slowly fed to society. Furthermore, I think the consequences of fatherlessness are then explained away by some other phenomenon. Then, we throw money and resources at supposed solutions to fatherlessness that are in fact symptoms of fatherlessness. The whole idea of fathers dwindling into inconsequence is very telling. After all, if a father dwindles into inconsequence, definitionally speaking, society chooses to not see the consequences of fatherlessness. In fact, they ignore the consequences or erase them altogether. It is illogical to suggest that because not all outcomes or results of fatherhood turn out to be good or beneficial for some individuals, that the institution of fatherhood is to blame. It would be like suggesting that exercise is bad for your health if somebody had a heart attack while out for a run. Or it would be like suggesting we should not eat solid foods because somebody may have choked. Failure to live up to a standard doesn't mean we give up on the standard, especially if that standard is proven to yield positive outcomes overall. Similarly, if a dad makes bad decisions that aren't good for his family and obviously don't endanger his family, it would logically follow that the right decision is to try and strengthen his family unit by encouraging him to be a better father, not, as David Blankenhorn mentioned, reduce him to the minimum social requirement of fathers. We should always hold him to the highest standard possible. Obviously, figuring out how to reach a high standard is done through trial and error. Not everybody is born with natural paternal instincts or inclinations. Again, the institution of fatherhood is not to blame for a man's natural shortcomings at becoming a father. Conversely, the institution of fatherhood is the foundation and fuel that can be used to propel that man into transcendent caring and nurture of his family. Yes, dads, in general, care deeply about their families. Remember that Pew Research statistic just a minute ago. Dads are on par with moms in that they feel that being a dad is central to their identity. So the logical question is, what happens when you take a piece of somebody's identity and dwindle it to inconsequence? What happens when society around dad actively belittles and reduces one of his primary contributions to his identity and life down to nothing? The answer is easy. Dads lose part of their identity. In fact, not just dads, but those who are aspiring to be dads. 
In effect, we are reducing to inconsequence potentially half of the entire population. Such a large part of a male's masculine experience and identity can be found in familial life, so it isn't a far logical stretch at all to see that if we reduce to inconsequence the importance of fatherhood, again, a very healthy outlet and direction for masculinity, then we will see a rise in protest masculinity. In other words, the infamous toxic masculinity we hear so much about. I won't pretend for a second to make any excuses for toxic masculinity. I will definitely suggest, however, that an antidote to toxic masculinity is not to remove the purpose and belonging found in the consequential role of fatherhood. Rather, society should place a premium on the role of fathers and allow and encourage them to grow in their fatherhood identity. I've discussed at length already the consequences of fatherlessness, but the idea of fatherlessness doesn't necessarily begin in a father's physical absence. If we allow society to promulgate a lie that even present, fathers don't provide benefit, then we're killing the idea of fatherhood. To what purpose does this serve? This isn't a zero-sum game where we are trying to find winners and losers based on who has a bigger piece of a finite pie. When society thinks dads should lose, we all lose. By instilling in societal norms father and consequence, we are not only attacking the identity and mental health of men and fathers, we are also removing his positive influence over his family. In fact, according to a study in the Lancet Journal, when fathers experience mental illness, his children are at higher risk of behavioral and emotional difficulties. Not only that, the risk is higher for boys. Turns out, good fathers have a strong tendency to create more good fathers in the long run. And another study out of Australia done by the Parenting Research Center found that nearly one in five new dads develop symptoms of depression and or anxiety since having children. So circling back really quick, here are a few true things I've covered in the last minute. One, dads are supremely important for a healthy society. Two, children whose dads suffer from mental illness are at a greater chance to suffer behavior problems. And three, nearly one in five dads suffer from a mental health symptom after becoming a dad. Notice the potential for a downward spiral here? The conclusion I take away from this is that we, as a society, don't do anybody any favors when we downplay the importance of fathers to the point of inconsequence, especially when becoming a father is already mentally and emotionally difficult for them. I want to continue with the story I started with. A simple infographic found on an Instagram page where the words with dad were removed. To the credit of the Feeding Littles folks, the moment they saw this version of their post, they immediately put out a statement demanding that this version stop being circulated. They were livid that those words had been removed. They asked all of their followers to help them find those versions. They purposefully included dad in that post. I was happy that they reacted this way, but also started to think that just being happy and feeling a bit vindicated at their reaction was insufficient. I realized that to really fight against fatherhood dwindling to inconsequence, it wasn't enough to just feel happy that Feeding Littles was chasing down this other version of their infographic. After all, my feeling of vindication didn't amount to having any experience with my children. My feelings of vindication aren't equal to me actually baking cookies with my daughter. 
I realized again that the best way to fight against this marginalization of fathers is not to live in the margins. I need to be front and center and purposeful about creating and capturing fun experiences with my children. It is not taboo to share fun experiences with our children. As it turns out, I actually love to bake. When I was on leave from my second baby being born, my toddler and I baked almost every day. We experimented with bread or cookies and we took them to neighbors. We had a great time. And not only am I realizing that planning these little experiences has been a great opportunity to bond with my child, I'm realizing the importance of documenting them. The only journaling I do right now is I write letters to my daughter. I just write. I tell her about the things that she says and does. I tell her about the crazy world we live in and that she's lucky she doesn't get to remember some of it. I tell her about our experiences so that when she does start to remember them, she can relive them through me too. I don't want her to grow up and believe the world around her that tells her that her relationship with me or my contribution to her is of little to no consequence. I want her to grow up confident that I love her and confident that the family and home her mom and I are creating for her is a safe place to be, a refuge from the rest of this world. And I think the best way to do this is to experience life with her and not be afraid to do it because the world might think that I shouldn't be. So if there's one takeaway you get from this episode, I hope it is that you should share as many experiences with your children as possible and don't live in the margins. Don't allow yourself to be removed from all the experiences your kids have. Be present in those experiences. Don't buy what society is selling if it doesn't actually foster and support your relationship and role with your children. Recognize when there are efforts out there to remove your influence on your children, or worse, to remove you altogether. The very best way to fight this is to experience life with your children and document it. I'm not really suggesting to take to social media and share everything about your family life, but I am certainly suggesting that we should be purposeful and deliberate at creating and sharing experiences together and doing whatever we can to foster and preserve their memory. 